on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. And welcome to episode two. Today we're going to talk about what it means to have a guru or a sponsor or a mentor and the importance of those things and kind of how that those traditions kind of differentiate in the yogic traditions of in India and the Eastern sort of way of approaching that with gurus and lineages and how that compares to the West and how we have degrees and certifications and, you know, we're a little bit more methodical, I suppose, about these things than the oral tradition of gurus and lineages and then also how that relates to, you know, big hot button topic in the yoga world today of yoga alliance and other governing bodies. So I'm going to give you my thoughts on that. But before we get into that, I kind of want to speak on, give words to, give life to the fact that I set out to start this podcast. I actually, I kind of live my life by the moon cycles, right? So I set intentions every new moon today. When I'm recording this is January 13th. There was just a new moon overnight last night. So it's kind of, I usually take a couple days around the new moon to set intentions and lay low and, you know, as much as I can in my, in my life, I have a job and a couple, you know, lots of work that I do. Anyway, so I set this, starting this or figuring out a yoga business in like August and the idea of the podcast came to fruition in like October. And so here it is. What's that? Like three months later, and I'm just now getting to recording the second episode. So the reason I bring that up, I actually, I've recorded it like twice already and decided I didn't like uh, something about it and ended up deleting it. So here I am today. I'm just going to record and it's going to be what it is. And like my one of my old dorm mates from the first time I went to college said, let it lie like Jesus flung it, which is funny to me because I'm not even like Christian, but I still like to say that. Anyway, apparently I can ramble on forever about things. But so I wanted to say that's part of why I've been like nervous about showing up in this way, putting myself out there in a podcast. And I've just decided that I have to just do it. And I was realizing that in my formulating of this episode, you know, I outline it before, before I sit down and, you know, speak into the void in my living room into a microphone, um, so that I make sure I have a plan. And at the end, we're going to get into a journaling exercise. And one of the like points I'm bringing up is that it's important to know your values and know your priorities and stick to them and build your life around that. And so I guess part of the reason that's been part of, you know, some of the things that have been holding me back from, really showing up in this way on this podcast have been, you know, fear of saying something wrong or offending somebody or doing something wrong. And so I was really overthinking, I think, my episodes. And it takes a really long time, you know, because I have to sit here and say all this stuff. And then I would like go back and listen to it and nitpick it apart. So I'm here to say I'm not doing that. 
today. I'm just going to talk and um, we'll see what happens. And so this is me showing up and telling you that I'm going to tell you how important it is to show up and be messy and stick to your values and stand in that truth and be accountable when somebody holds you accountable, you know, like if I do say something that offends somebody or say something that is wrong, I hope instead of overthinking and trying to edit all those out before I release these episodes, I hope that if I do, um, that somebody will just tell me, you know, like, hey, that rubbed me the wrong way or hey, here's why, here's an outside perspective. Anyway, we'll get into it. So today's topic is about gurus and mentors and certifications and degrees and how the Western kind of paradigm around that has kind of forced, you know, yoga into this thing that it wasn't originally. You know, I don't think yoga was ever intended to be an industry, but it definitely is that here in the United States and in Western culture. And there's a lot of messy stuff that comes along with that. So we're going to get into that a little bit today. Um, so I started episode one with some thought provoking questions and I, I like that. So I think I'm going to do it again. So, um, related to the coloni- colonization of knowledge, that is a thing you might hear. You may have never heard those words put together before, but if you haven't, um, it has to do with like who, who owns universal truths. We're assuming there is such a thing as universal truths. And so who owns these things? And then, you know, so that could be like spirituality or like the laws of physics, you know, who owns these things? And then building upon that, who owns the frameworks for how these things are conveyed? You know, who gets to say like, who gets to call themselves an authority on a topic and ultimately in the West, you know, charge people money for teaching them those things. And then from a more practical standpoint, how do we know, how do we decipher who to listen to, who to trust, who to consider our teachers or our mentors, our guides or leaders or experts on a topic? Or then as an entrepreneur, how would one distinguish themselves as an expert in their field. So these things are all very related. Um, I do think that to find an expert or to be an expert, you have to have some kind of person above you. You have to have a guru or a sponsor or a boss or a mentor or a whole team of people helping you on your way. So in the Eastern tradition, there and, and in yoga specifically, it was passed down uh, while the original texts were um, conveyed by the deities to rishis or seers, and then they were written down, and then that is a very oral tradition is what I'm trying to get at, is that is passed down, you know, the rishis got it from the deities or the divine, and 
then they pass it down. They they become a guru. And so guru has this connotation of being like, um, like almost, uh, I don't want to say almost godlike. That's not the right kind of connotation I'm looking for. Um, but but kind of like at the destination on the spiritual path, right? It has that connotation to it. A guru does. And then so a guru, they like know all the things and they pass it down to their students and then maybe their students reach being a guru or maybe they don't, but the ones that do, then they have students and it's this lineage, right? So there are lineages in yoga and even in the West, we, we recognize that, um, some people may not know, like, they're just like, oh, I just go to the gym and, and do yoga, like, whatever. Um, and so that's like, so maybe some of my students that come to my classes, they don't know that I have studied under, like, the Vini Yoga um, lineage, and I've studied under the lineage kind of related to, like, Krishnamacharya, and so then we have people in the West that continue on these lineages, um, right? And so then in the West, we don't really approach it that way. We have this idea that unless something is um, conveyed in a sort of like um, like university standpoint or like school, we have this like huge paradigm around schooling that that's how we do it and it, you know for better, for worse, um, you know, so there's some good things to it, right? Like to the Western school, we have actual people who make it their entire career to like research and understand, uh, how people learn best. And so we can take from them, like what, uh, you know, like learning styles and techniques for teaching to get at all the different learning styles. But then on the, the darker, the shadow side of that is like, then we have a lot of emphasis on, tests and standards and so um the main idea that I want to convey is that it takes a village right none of us can do this alone um we all need even if you're an entrepreneur and you reject the model of of having a boss or whatever you probably have a mentor you probably have a teacher you know there's a saying in in recovery, like you wouldn't have a sponsor that doesn't have a sponsor. Um, so, or like, you know, and then in yoga, it's like you, as, as to be a good yoga teacher, you have to first be a yoga student, right? So every yoga teacher, if they want to continue progressing on the path, they have to continue to be a student. Um, so none of us can do this alone. We all need, um, people showing us the way, even if we are a person that shows other people the way. We all need a guru or a sponsor or a therapist or a life coach or whatever. And so how do we choose those people or how do we find those people? Or then also how do we decide what certification to get or what degree to get or not get to help us stand out um, distinguish ourselves as an expert in our field, or do we look for people that have those things, or do we just throw them all out the window because that's not how yoga was like intended to work? So the yoga philosophy philosophy piece that I'd like to incorporate related to that is 
viveka, or it kind of translates to like discrimination, but I'd rather look at it as more like keen discernment. So right now, astrologically, Jupiter and Saturn are in Capricorn, and so they both represent teachers in different ways. So Jupiter is like the guru. Um, it Jupiter is like a love of learning and expansiveness, and that's kind of what Jupiter represents, uh, somebody who teaches because they love it. And then Saturn is represents more like hard lessons or tough love or like the teacher that doesn't um, spare the rod to spoil the child, if you will. Uh, and so they're in Capricorn right now, and that uh, that just leads to a strong – when those two planets are together and in a sign that represents, like, structures, it's just – it's a good time, whether you care about astrology and believe it actually influences your life or not, this is a good framework to decide, okay, right now we're going to focus on our connection to our teachers. And so then we also want to cons- cultivate this keen discernment, this viveka, which actually means keen discernment between the real or the unreal, the eternal and the temporary, the self and the non-self. So in, in yoga, we have this kind of concept of like little s self, which could be thought of as like your ego um, and capital S self, which could be thought of as your connection with the divine. Um, I kind of talked about this a little bit in the first episode of Darshan of like, um, it's your, it's not your roles and your, your worldly identity. It's like your, your divine spark. And anyway, so it's like Viveka is like the ability to tell the difference between, okay, am I identifying myself by my roles or, uh, what I truly am at my essence? Um, and then also things like pleasure versus bliss, you know? So, There are worldly pleasures, like I have a chocolate problem. I love chocolate. It brings me pleasure. You could argue that um, it brings me bliss. I'm not going to get into that, but the difference between like worldly pleasures and um, that bliss connection with the divine. So we'll we'll get some more into those things. It's it's a lot of deep yoga philosophy. So we just want to talk about... um, We'll explore those topics more as the podcast goes on. But so we just want to talk about the keen discernment it takes to decide should you choose somebody as your teacher based on their qualifications or um, is it worth it? Like, for example, in my life, I'm studying to be a yoga therapist and I would love to go on and get a master's in social work, right? But I'm like, because that's kind of what we need in the United States to bill insurance for some of the kind of like work that I want to do. Um, and then it's like, but maybe I could still do that same work without that degree. So I'm having to develop my keen discernment around, um, should I get that degree or not? Or like, um, what teachers to kind of put myself under their wing. Um, it's a good time for that. It's a good time for, connecting to your teachers and deciding, like, um, whose wing you're going to put yourself under, right? So I would be remiss not to acknowledge that I'm unpacking this from my perhaps limited perspective. I've been a yoga teacher for about four years now. I've been a member of Yoga Alliance for three years. And so there are a lot of critiques 
of Yoga Alliance, but I'm going to bring this up. It's relevant whether or not you are in the yoga community or not, because I see a lot of parallels with this in the tile community. My fiance is a tile contractor. He does like tile and stone, like kind of not masonry, not like brick laying, but anyway, tile and stone. That's what he does. And there's kind of parallels in that industry. There's not, there's kind of a couple big governing bodies. Anyway, my point is like most industries have some kind of governing body that you have to answer to. Like my mom's a lawyer and they each state has their own like bar association. And that's like the one that lawyers have to pay their dues to every year and get a certain amount of continuing education credits. There's just, this exists in a lot of industries. And I, for one, am glad that it exists in the yoga industry. Um, so, but I, I have to acknowledge that I subscribe to the idea and I am going to recognize here that there are people that don't see the value in Yoga Alliance. They think they're just wasting their money. Anyway, so I'm here to say that I subscribe to the the idea of Yoga Alliance. I think it's a good way to set myself apart as a yoga teacher. Um, It's kind of like a bare minimum, like at least you've done a 200-hour training. I think that's the critique sometime that um, the, the... requirements are like really loose lenient uh so they're kind of like just anybody can pay them their money and say they're this thing anyway so I subscribe to the yoga line you know I pay my dues there I'm registered through yoga alliance I'm registered I'm a member of IAYT which is the international I don't I don't even know if it's alliance or association of yoga therapists I'm a member with them even though I'm not certified yet I'm like a third of the way through my yoga therapy program. Um, I have, I've recently signed up for a Vedic astrology mentorship. You know, I've been studying under a couple different teachers for like going on a year now, like taking my astrology studies seriously. I've been studying it for longer than that, but I've been kind of taking my studies seriously. And kind of the natural next step for me was to have a mentor, right? And so No such governing body exists in the United States as far as I know for Vedic astrology, but my mentor is going to give me like a certificate. I guess that's cool. So that's my point is like we like that. We like letters after our name in the West, in the United States. We like the alphabet soup. Um, I just graduated with a health and wellness degree, a bachelor's degree, so I can put BS. (laughs) It's a bunch of BS after my name. Um, and so I got this email from like some company in Wisconsin or something, um, that I could pay them like $350 to call myself a certified wellness practitioner. And I'm like, and it's like five years of certification. And then it comes with continuing education opportunities and requirements and whatever. So my point is this stuff exists. Um, in the yoga and health and wellness world, it's kind of, I've heard it called before the wild west of, um, industries. Like just anybody can go out and call themselves a health coach. Like nobody's stopping you. Um, and it's kind of the same way with you. Like anybody could go out and call themselves a yoga teacher, but I think that's the idea behind yoga alliance is that, you can just go call yourself a yoga teacher, but 
um, Yoga Alliance provides this framework by which we can at least like bare minimum check that people have, you know, done something, done some kind of training. Um, and so, so I think that's like, I, I want to recognize the critiques of that, that, um, yoga has more roots in religion and spirituality than it does in fitness. And if you're just finding this out, um, it's true. The history of asana, the physical practice of yoga is only like 150 to 200 years old. And that's being like a generous estimate. And the rest of the stuff, like the spirituality part and the, um, you know, how to live your life and the well, meditating too, but, but the, the crazy shapes part of yoga is very new. And so I recognize the frustration at people that think yoga shouldn't really fall under the fitness industry. Like I hear that, um, because it kind of reinforces the misconception that, first of all, that yoga is all about asana, all about the physical practice. And then second of all, that asana is all about, um, kind of being a contortionist or a gymnast. Um, and I've been frustrated by that before too, and find myself being frustrated by that, um, kind of side of the yoga community, the yoga industry as well. So, so I'm acknowledging that saying, I hear you, I feel you, I feel that too. Um, because fun fact, if you didn't know that asana means comfortable seat. So in the, you know, some people are like, oh, well, it's in the yoga sutras. Um, the word asana is right. So we can think that it's that old. Um, but it really just meant like a meditation posture. I think like being comfortable in your body for meditation was the original idea. And we've kind of, it's kind of evolved into this like, almost gymnastics-like thing. And so I, I hear people that are frustrated by that. I do. I get it. Um, and so I sometimes feel like that people are looking for, like, somebody to blame. I don't know. Um, but I'm here to say there's hope because there. I just heard a webinar by Satbir, who is, that's S-A-T-B-I-R, not, like, B-W-E-W-R-U-N. Anyway, um, so Satvir, he's like a, he's a kundalini, I guess, yogi. He wears like all white and he works for Harvard um, and he does all this research. And so that's one of the resources, one of the nice resources through Yoga Alliance. I did attended this webinar for free and learn, I mean, not for free. I pay them $65 a year. So I use my stuff that they give me that's free that I pay 65 or whatever, however many dollars, roughly $65 a year for. So I do the webinars. And in this webinar, he was talking about, um, like, he cited so many studies about evidence, not just in the United States, but in Australia and um, the UK as well, and a couple Indian stats. They were just surveys, so they're not super, like, peer-reviewed, I don't know. I'm into research. I want to acknowledge that these are just surveys. Like, there wasn't even that much demographic information presented. 
But anyway, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of context in the webinar about this. But there is evidence that most people start their yoga practice for the physical reasons and then they continue it for the more spiritual reasons. So, like myself included, I started going to yoga at the gym. And I liked it because it seemed exotic, right? There's this whole thing around it. I wanted to try it. And I think that's a really common thread for a lot of people. Um, and then you either you take it or you leave it. Some people just stay there in that gym yoga and the um, kind of gymnastics thing. And then some people kind of venture more and more, however quickly or slowly they do, on their own path into the spiritual side, into the meditating side. Um, and so I think... I want to acknowledge that maybe that's not a bad thing because I found yoga that way. Um, and so this, I, I used to be frustrated too about like things like rage yoga. I remember when I heard about that, I was like, that's the biggest load of crap because being like aggression is addictive, right? You know, people, if they identify themselves as like a person that rages, they get stuck in it, like, you know, stuck in that pattern of, of rage, so I was like, "Why would we reinforce that? That seems like not the point." Um, and the things like goat yoga and dog yoga and all these cute little things, but most of the time, like I've seen, they're usually like fundraisers. Like I've seen ones around Asheville. They have like fundraisers for the Humane Society. Anyway, my point is that these things are just the tip of the iceberg and I can see, I can understand the frustration by them and I felt frustrated by them myself too. Um, but if we want to really assert that yoga is like the way and that it's like the spiritual path and for those of us that are on it, we have to meet people where they are, right? Like we can't just go and be all out there super down the rabbit hole of yoga philosophy or like woo woo as I sometimes like to call it without meeting people where they are you know people aren't if they're scared off because it's not accessible to them then they're not going to come and they're not or they might come once but they're not going to come back so um so I just want to say like I hear that frustration the kind of you know and it's it is a tricky like path to navigate the whole cultural appropriation versus appreciation thing um it's it's tricky it's hard to navigate but I just want to say like maybe there's a bright side of it I don't know um but so then the thing is is like there's an argument that having a yoga alliance having this governing body for our industry can um provide all this value so like I was saying, like, so in Tile, right, they have, like, trade shows, and other professions have conferences and certifications, and it just, when you have this certification by this governing body, whether it's required by, you know, so, like, the Bar Association, um, I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong about this, but, for example, like, sometimes the government is involved, and, like, in California, um, the the guy that was basically that my fiance was basically an apprentice for to learn tile. Um, he's from California and you have to pay like an arm and a leg even to go clean houses out there. So it's like 
Um, sometimes the government is involved. Sometimes it's per the government. Sometimes it's per just like pe- some people organized and decided they were going to make this like governing body. And that's the case with yoga. There's no like government th- requirement, um, at least not in North Carolina and not federally in the United States. Uh, there might be some other states that are starting, the government starting to get involved. I feel like I've heard whisperings of that, but uh, as, you know, in my little world, the government's not involved in my yoga um, certification, but yoga alliances. So we want these things that like, that having a governing body will bring, like having conferences and um, proven value is basically the idea. So as an entrepreneur, um, you can be the kind of person, you know, it's like a business model thing. You can be the kind of person that just does high volume or you can uh, tone down your volume, have to work a little bit less, right, but get paid more because you're selling proven value. This is just like a business concept, right? Um, And so that's kind of the idea. That's uh, what my fiance does in his business, you know, there's always going to be people that do what, what he does cheaper, but he does it better, right? And so it's the same thing with any industry. And so that's my assertion for yoga is like we're in the, we're in the United States, we're in the West, uh, we live under capitalism, we have this internalized capitalism, and it's it's turned into this big monster thing, but so... This is our best way to try and tame that, right? Um, So, but then we also want to recognize that certification doesn't always equal qualification. So somebody can be qualified to do something and never get a certification. Like, there are people that have been teaching yoga since before Yoga Alliance came around, and they were like, I'm not going to subscribe to that. Like, I've never needed it. I'm not going to do it. And so there, I've noticed, at least in the circles I run in, they tend to be some of the loudest voices against Yoga Alliance because um, they're like, I'm qualified without a certification. And it's like, that's fine, you do you, you know. Um, unless it comes to this point, uh, I know it was this way with, like, substance abuse counseling. Um, with my dad, for example, like he was a substance abuse counselor and he could have gotten like grandfathered in when they made some kind of, I don't even know what the, like the CSAC, which is now like C-A-D-C, like some alphabet soup, you know, thing that he like could have been grandfathered in when it first like started to exist. And then he didn't because he didn't feel like he needed it. And then the government got involved and then he couldn't do it anymore even though he could have... So that's what I'm saying is, like, it's this fine line that the government could get involved, especially the more we want to claim that yoga has these therapeutic benefits. You know, once we start kind of treading into medical territory, the government's going to get involved, which is why Yoga Alliance has been super um, uh, anti-against using the word yoga therapy, the word, those two words together. Um because that's just, that's tricky territory. So that's where IYT stepped in. They're like, this, we're going to make this our thing. Um, so I didn't understand that for a while. I was going to do this like therapeutically oriented 
300 hour training. But I was like, but I want to be able to call myself a yoga therapist. I want to be able to use those words. I'll pay the money to whoever I have to pay the money to because that's, you know, that's the reality of the system we live under. Um, that's how it works. So we want, we have this need for the benefits that come from being regulated without wanting to be regulated. So we want to have conferences. We want to have certifications. We want to have that proven value is the biggest thing. Um, but we don't want to be right. We don't want to do all the paperwork and red tape and bullshit that comes with being regulated. So, um, so it's this tricky thing to kind of navigate basically, but I want to assert that the 200 hour, um, training is basically, we should look at it as like the bare minimum for what could be said as like ahimsa or nonviolence in teaching. So like, can you go into a gym and lead a yoga class and not like hurt somebody or completely butcher culturally appropriate yoga? But I'll acknowledge that there are people that are at the 200 hour level that are still kind of in the cultural appropriation realm. I acknowledge that. And I think we still need to continue to root that out. But my assertion here is that the 200 hour training is like a bare minimum against that. You know, getting any less than that is not going to help, I think. Um, And then so then I also want to acknowledge that, like, most teacher trainings are transactionary. Like, you pay them their money and you show up, you know, and usually you pass as long as there's not something, like, else egregious uh, that happens. Um, but most of the time it's like you pay them their money and you show up and you pass. It doesn't matter how well you do on the test, how, uh, much you perform. And so that's an argument against it sometimes. But then I think that's like really tricky to navigate too, because, um, how do we dance this line of lineages and gurus and oral traditions and staying true to kind of what yoga is without dancing into the land of like having standardized tests and whatever. I don't know. It's just, it's tricky. So I hear all these people complaining about it and basically I'm saying like, y'all don't have a better solution. I don't know. Uh, I'm just a solutions person, I guess. Um, so then also like maybe that transactionary state of it is, is okay because also some people go and take a yoga teacher training because they want to deepen their practice. I remember having a couple people in my 200 hour training that never cared to go on and teach and they were like bright lights to have in the training. I like loved doing it. I, you know, I still keep in touch with some of them, you know, and it's like, so maybe we don't need to go ahead and make it like way more rigorous. Like, I think it's a good, base level and so then that's why having a governing body like yoga alliance furthers the industry because it's like maybe you don't need to be taking continuing education from somebody unless they're a 500 hour you know they've gone through more training or they have that e that experienced ryt by their little alphabet soup you know so that's what i'm saying it's like there's an argument for having this whole alphabet soup thing going on um and it's starting to be recognized like RYT being a registered yoga teacher is recognized outside of yoga circles. And so I remember when I was deciding um, 
when I decided I wanted to become a yoga teacher and I started looking into it, of course, the first thing I found was that you need to find a program that's Yoga Alliance certified. And um, so that's been like a goal for me is to continue my training and continue with Yoga Alliance so that I can start to offer continuing education classes that are certified, but then also for my own personal edification, right? Like continuing on being a student so that I can continue to bring the best and newest stuff to my students so that, you know, I continue learning. And that's industry, that's like any career path you choose, you should be doing that. Um, And especially yoga. So I want to say in some ways, um, maybe I shouldn't say this, I don't know. But here I am showing up in my truth and my values, right? And if somebody wants to have a conversation about it, I'm open to that. Um, I want to say in some ways, Yoga Alliance uh, might further prevent the colonization of yoga because it prevents the government from getting involved, right? And it takes a village. None of us can do this alone. Um, So I, I recognize that certifications and credentialing can kind of get in the way of human connection. Like I remember I just saw in a Facebook forum, like somebody posted a job and somebody was like, oh, one of your requirements is like having an associate's degree, but I don't have an associate's degree, but I would like this job. And the person replied back, um, your experience is way more important to me. Like send me a resume anyway. And so that's the kind of thing I think we can, it's just like the associate's degree in that scenario was like, just a baseline, right? But it's like, but if you're kind of grandfathered in to this work, um, maybe experience can replace, you know, you can show your qualification without a certification. But certifications definitely help is my argument. So so I think it's like you could just throw Yoga Alliance out the window, not pay them any money, So that's what some people say is like, it's just a registry. You're just paying them money every year just to put your name in a list that nobody looks at anyway. And like, sure, that's part of it. But they also offer um, those webinars. And I'm like, y'all aren't taking advantage of those and discounts. So it's like maybe if you had a little um, boutique, I think, like with your yoga. Anyway, it's just they offer things. And so it's the same thing with this governing body of the Thailand. So I'm just speaking on industries I know and saying that I know this exists for lots of other industries. Um, Like the one for tile is like you can put CTI in your alphabet soup after your name. You can call yourself a certified tile installer and they give you like $2,000 in coupons or some shit. I don't know. And so it's like they give you more than just your name in the list. Sure, they give you a name in the list. And if you don't use any of the stuff that they give you, then that's all that you get. And I can see why you might not want to do it, but it's like it will help you stand out as an expert in your field. Um, and there are other ways to do it, but this is a pretty like proven path, right? Um, and then so with the International Alliance or Association or whatever it is of yoga therapists, IOIT, um, I should really know that. I'm like a member. Anyway, um, it comes in with this, like, insurance nuances. Like, I'm pretty sure once I'm certified, once I can add those letters to my alphabet soup, C-I-A-Y-T, um, I can 
bill insurance. I've heard of people billing like health savings accounts for yoga therapy. Um, but so I have to pay my money to the governing body who goes and handles the lobbying so that I can be, so that it can be legal for me to do that. Right. Like this is kind of like, oh, we banded together and some people are making it their business to go handle that so that other people can make it their business to do this and, and it's legal. Right. So, um, coming back to this idea of collective knowledge and who owns that knowledge. So like in some fields, anybody can just go out and hang out a shingle and be like a handyman or what, but you can't in California as far as I know. They're pretty regulated, but in the state of North Carolina, uh, you can just call yourself a handyman or a yoga teacher, whatever you want to call yourself, and just go and do it. Um, and maybe you have some access to the to the knowledge you need um, to do that thing. Or like then on the other side of that, with yoga train like yoga as this body of wisdom through all these texts and oral traditions passed down through centuries and millennia, in fact. Um, it's like who owns that knowledge when we, uh, or the frameworks by which that knowledge is conveyed. You know, this is an important question to ask, our, ask ourselves and wrestle with that if when we're saying, I'm going to certify you to be a yoga teacher, or whatever, am I saying I own, like, what it takes to decide if somebody can teach yoga? And I don't think that's it. I don't think that's what that's saying. Um, because, as at least for now, anybody can go out there and call themselves a yoga teacher without paying Yoga Alliance a dime. Um, so I just think the root of it all is is that human connection, that collective experience, that collective human experience and the fact that there are so many different ways of addressing those things that connection with teachers is essential, especially right now. We're in this time, weird time in human history. Um so it's good it's good to be connected with teachers and if you don't even if you don't want to subscribe to like the westernized frameworks of doing things if you don't want to go and get a degree um because I'm also here to say like I went and got a degree cuz it was like the thing to do and my fiance who does not have a degree makes way more money than me and it's because he had he had an he was basically an apprentice to somebody we named our child after that person um it's how important in our lives he has been. Um, so it's a little bit different than just any job. Like he's like family, right? Um, he's my fiance's like mentor in life. So, so much that we named our kid after him. And, uh, so it's like, he doesn't have a degree, but he went, he still went down this path. It's like lineage learned under a guy whose dad was a tile guy. Right. And so it's like, you can do the same thing in, just about any field, except for like being a doctor, the government kind of steps in there. That's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. Um, but then same thing with like, if you were to go to a 12 step meeting and try to get clean or whatever, clean or sober, whatever you want to call it. Um, they're going to tell you to get a sponsor and they're going to tell, you know, people that are sponsoring, agreeing to be somebody's sponsor or mentor in recovery 
they're going to stay connected with their sponsor so that they can stay on the path, right, and continue to provide the best value to their sponsees. And the same thing as a yoga teacher. Um, And so I guess what I'm saying is, like, there's many ways to get to the same goal. Um, Like, my fiancé is kind of sold himself as the value in the tile industry here in Asheville. And he doesn't have that certification. Um, but he connected with somebody who's gone before him and, and did what he wanted to do. And so it's the same thing, I guess, with me learning Vedic astrology. I just learned, I was like, I'm going to go out and find people who are, who know the things I want to know and are doing the things that I want to do. And I'm going to like energy exchange, pay them because that's the framework we live under to for their time to put myself under their wing and for their knowledge um and so I guess there's this contrast that in you know other spheres even in some well in some religious circles in the states it's like you have to pay your tithe or whatever to be a part of their thing um but then in yoga it's like in Hinduism, maybe there's monks, um, and they are ascetics, spiritual ascetics. They remove themselves from, like, worldly things like bills. Um, so it's just different. It's different. And in the framework we live in, in the United States, uh, money is a big factor. Um, so you have to put yourself in connection with people that can show you the way and it might be a whole team of people you might have your like one yoga teacher that teaches you all the things or you might have like your life coach and your therapist and your maybe you do like master's swimming or you know some adult like sport league and you have your whatever I don't know um and maybe you're an entrepreneur so you don't have a boss maybe you do have a boss but you probably have a mentor somebody who's gone before you somebody who's been doing what you want to do and you're at least like friends with them. I don't know. You run in professional circles and learn people in your field. Um, so with that in mind, I don't know if you've ever heard the quote before, you are the combination of the five people you spend the most time with. So it would make sense to make like one of those people somebody who is living the life that you want to live um, in at least some way, Right. So today's action item, I suppose, uh, journal prompt I want to leave you with. Wow, I can ramble for a long time. I was like, I'm going to keep these episodes under 30 minutes. Huh? Let's all laugh together about that. It's like almost 45 minutes right now. And anyway, so we're nearing the end. Um, Viveka, how do you cultivate this keen discernment? right, between the real and unreal, between eternal and temporary self and non-self, and pleasure and bliss, Um, or around who you should surround yourself in life, be that friends or mentors or just people who are doing the things that you want to do, people that are like the kind of person you want to be like. Um, So I think in some ways we can usually kind of into it, like use our intuition um, around whether people are doing the work. I say that in air quotes, like doing the work or not. Um, But if you can't, 
I've got some exercises for you, some journal prompts. Um, but so it, it involves getting in touch with our own principles, values, priorities, goals. And, and it doesn't matter what anybody else's are. Everybody's are going to be different, right? Um, but I think we've been kind of sold this in the United States, this, like, American dream idea that it's to, like, have a bunch of houses and a boat or some shit. I don't know. But maybe you just want to live in some, like, tiny little cabin in the woods with your cat or your kid and your fiancé. I don't know. Um, so whatever you have to decide, what are your values what are your principles? You can't do everything, your goals, and stick to those. So that also brings in brahmacharya, this restriction of energy concept in yoga, which is, you know, I might be reprimanded by some people because some people interpret that strictly as celibacy, but I like to interpret it as this restriction of energy, not giving energy to things that don't deserve your energy, having this viveka, this keen discernment around what deserves your energy, your attention, right? So we vote with our dollars. We vote with our attention more than we ever vote in a ballot box. Um, so that requires a strong connection with your principles and priorities. And then lastly, I want to say related to that, there's freedom and commitment. You know, when you commit to something, it removes that kind of shiny object syndrome that I've found myself being... Um, falling victim to sometimes. So if you don't have a strong conviction about what you want to do or what are your values, your goals, your principles and priorities, here are some journal prompts that I hope help you start to figure that out or get, you know, re-get back in touch with that. So first of all, what am I most grateful for and what do I value most? Maybe list three things for each, big or small, or maybe you want to free write about that for a few minutes. I'm going to put these in the show notes um, if you want to come, you know, come back and listen to them so I don't have to just sit here for five minutes giving you time to write. Um, and then what were your biggest personal and professional accomplishments last year? So we're right at, it's today, I'm going to publish this like right after I finish recording because I'm like just going to send it full send uh, and stop worrying so much about how I'm showing up because I'm living in alignment with my convictions and my values and just if that's problematic, I guess somebody can call me out about it and I'll listen. So this is a new moon today, um, kind of if you want to set new moon intentions, you start with like what were your biggest personal. So what are you grateful for and what do you value? And then what are your biggest professional and personal accomplishments that you're proud of over the last year, like 2020? Um, and then once you've kind of discerned those, what kept you motivated to get there? Who helped you? And what are the top three lessons you learned from last year? And then what do you want to achieve this year? or in the next five years, or maybe in just the next month. It's a new moon. Maybe you just want to focus on this lunar cycle. That's kind of how I live my life. I'm like, this is what I'm going to worry about for the next two weeks until the full moon. <laughs> and um, just take it from there. You know, you got to have bigger goals and, like, what can you work with in the present? So maybe what are the top three short-term goals and top three long-term goals? And check in with if those things align with each other. Hopefully 
you have your long-term goals and you've broken those things down into short-term goals and you're just working on little bite-sized pieces of your long-term goals. And then break it down even further, do your top three short-term goals align with your daily habits and activities? It's okay if they don't. That's why we're checking in. So first step is acceptance. First step is awareness. Got to notice it uh, or else you'll just keep down that path. And then how are you going to get there to your um, your big long-term goals? What are your first things first? What are your priorities? And what are the limiting beliefs or other constraints such as your activities or habits that are holding you back from living in alignment with those long-term or even short-term goals? And then also, who inspires you? Who do you learn from? Maybe over the last year or last week, who are your teachers, your sponsors, your mentors, and your gurus? And are you fostering connection with them? Or how could you foster connection with them more? And that's all for today. So thanks for joining me. I hope that helps. Um clarify some things around what paths you might find in alignment with you, whether you're in the yoga industry or not, or, and I hope those journal prompts were helpful. And if you want to connect, you know, I'd love to connect, write me a review, rate this podcast if you like this, or if you want to connect with me and discuss any of this further, find me on Instagram, find me on Facebook, search Yogi Scopes with Rosemary on Facebook or just Yogi Scopes on Instagram, Y-O-G-I-S-C-O-P-E-S. And as always, remember to keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Thanks for joining me. I'll talk to you next time.